Our uh, scripture reading today is going to be from the book of Ezra, and um, maybe a little unusual passage for Thanksgiving. Um, Truth be told, I tried to get somebody else to preach Thanksgiving because I've done 30 of them, and be thankful can only be said in so many different ways, and I had no takers, um, so I was really thrilled when I found this passage. And it also gave me, uh, come on up, thank you. It also gave me the ability to say there's someone here from one of my former congregations and I was able to tell them that for sure they're not hearing a sermon they've heard before. This is a newbie looking into Ezra chapter three and I'll start at verse 10. Just hit the next slide please because I see the next slide coming up is right, there you go. We read in the book of Ezra, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people have a great, had a, all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. If at any point I look like I feel like I'm boxed in, it's because I feel like I'm boxed in. Should I stand on top of the, uh, no, just kidding. All right, giving thanks with mixed feelings. This guy has a different feeling about turkey dinner than you do, right? <laughs> you see it on his face. So um, today we're gonna be talking about Thanksgiving, because it's Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be talking about the mixed emotions, the passage that we looked at will help us do that. And um, I'll be sharing some stuff, I don't know if I'd call them stories, but illustrations, and, and you've already been asked to share one thing with somebody, and I'm hoping that at your family gatherings or even after this service together here, you have opportunities to share about what you're thankful for. And I want to do a little bit of guiding through that conversation. So our guide today is Ezra Nehemiah, and I call it Ezra Nehemiah because Tim Mackey, who is now a, the name you're gonna hear, like you always used to hear me say, Bema, I'm now on to Tim Mackey. He's my latest trans, or, uh, teaching hero. And uh, he tells me that Ezra Nehemiah is actually basically one book, right? And it has three sections to it, the restoration of the temple, the restoration of the law, and the restoration of the wall. So that's just kind of a big picture of Ezra so you understand kind of where this story comes from. And each of these restorations had sort of a, a mixed result, right? Is that in the end, it was disappointing. They had some, some progress, they were really excited, things were getting better, and then it, it kind of fell flat. And that's, in essence, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, the story we're in right now starts with
Yeah, I'm on a completely different slide on this thing, so if you in the war room can be my guides, thank you. So they had started with early success. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, right? And I can imagine that way back in the year 2000 when this place was built, there was a sod-turning ceremony, and probably as the foundation was put down and the, the slab was, was laid and so on and poured, you celebrated. You thought, this is amazing. Things are underway, and you anticipated that more was going to come. And that's sort of the early success they're experiencing in Ezra. Next slide, please. And there was a very official, regal celebration. When we built in, in, in Brampton, Caledon actually, we actually had the same person turning the sod who turned the sod for the first building of, the, of that um, communities. And so there's, of course, all these rituals you have. You invite the mayor or some official, and you have the pastor, and everybody wears suits, and there's photo ops, and you all hang on to the shovel, right? There's, there's rules around how you do that, and you follow those ceremonies. Well, these, that's what these words mean in Ezra's time. There were the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, Asaph was, by the way, the um, other writer of the Psalms. We always say the Psalms of David, but Asaph, you'll see that actually in the headline of some of the Psalms, he was David's psalm writer. He worked with them. Sons of Asaph with symbols, and they took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. Now, David was long gone by the time this story is taking place, all right? He was the great king from of old, but he did this on a couple of occasions. He did this when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the tabernacle. All right, so the tabernacle was basically their temple in tent form. It was their traveling ta t temple, right? And when David brought the, ta the um, Ark of the Covenant, God's seat, if you will, the holy place, into that tent, then they had all these prescribed rituals. He had Asaph say certain things with symbols and so on. All these things took place, and that became the rules. This is now how we do that, right? And you know that many of our rituals happen the same way, right? We sometimes think that the way we do communion is written up for us straight out of the Bible. It's not. To have communion is in the Bible, but the way we do it comes out of our tradition and wondering what's the best way to do this, what's the best thing to say, and all those things. David had the, um, set the tone, if you will, for what to do when you were building and celebrating a temple. Next slide, please. So the words they used were here, and I'm asking you if you recognize this refrain. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. Just give me the next slide, please. It'll help us recognize it. So this is Psalm 136, written by David or Asaph. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And when I was planning this, I thought, I could sing that for you, and a whole bunch of you would probably jump in with me, and you'd know that song. So I thought, you don't want to hear me sing. So Ruthann's going to help us with this, and we're going to sing a couple stanzas of a hymn that's probably familiar to a number of you, and after this will be familiar to more of us. Why don't you stand, you know, mid-sermon stand, seventh-inning stretch kind of a thing.
So when I read Is Love Endures Forever, that song immediately comes to me. Anybody else have that song firmly in their head? And All right, we've got a few of you anyways, at least a few of you who are daring to put up your hands. So it also shows up in Psalm 106, Psalm 107, Psalm 117. Can anyone tell me what's so amazingly famous about Psalm 117? It's the shortest. That's right. Somebody was picking that when they had to read because they didn't want it to go too long. It starts and ends Psalm 118. It's in Jeremiah 33. It's in 1 Chronicles 16. That's actually where David brings the um, ark into the tabernacle. And it's in 2 Chronicles 5 and 7, which is where Solomon dedicates the temple. And the reason I'm telling you all the places where this is found is because when David um, started this regal ceremony, he wrote an act, he actually had Asaph write a, a, a whole psalm, but the line that stuck with them was this line, his love endures forever, right? Give thanks to God for he is good, his love endures forever. And whenever that shows up in the Bible, what they're anticipating is that as they um, open some worship facility, if you will, a temple or a tabernacle, they're expecting that what would happen is the same thing that happened when the, when the ark came into the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord would come down and they would experience the presence of God. It showed up in the form of, of, of smoke or a cloud, right? And the experience of, of um, thunder, earthquake kind of feelings, right? So they're expecting something powerful to happen when they say his love endures forever. Now, next slide, please. Did you see the difference? You can see it now. In the book of Ezra, it says, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the other spots where this line shows up, it's his love endures forever. Now, based on what Brandon said about what's going on in Israel right now, this is a horribly awkward time to make this comment, but it's still true about the reality of our world, right? That Israel at this time, the time of Ezra, um, Israel at the time of Ezra was offered all kinds of help from the people who already lived in Israel, people who came from other nations, and they said, no, you're not like us, you're not part of us, we're doing this one on our own. And they did that with all the best intentions, because they realized the reason they had gotten in trouble with God was that they hadn't kept pure, they hadn't kept to the game plan. And so they said, we're going to keep to the game plan, and part of that game plan is making sure that we are pure, and part of that purity, they thought, was making sure nobody else from any other nation actually joins them. And so they said no to that. But as I said at the beginning, the book of Ezra has three things that they went on a um, rest restoration plan for, and all three ended in disappointment. And it seems to me, it's not stated clearly, it seems to me when I read it, that that's because they kept pushing everybody else away and not allowing for community to be built. So Psalm 117, that shortest psalm in the Bible, when it uses this line, it starts like this. Give praise to the Lord, all you nations, all you nations, for God is good, his love endures forever. And here in Ezra, they're saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures, his love to Israel only endures forever. God called his people always and forever to be missionary people, to be people on a mission. Everything he did for them, to them, and through them was actually meant for the whole world to be blessed by. 
That's the word to Abraham in the beginning. I will make you a great nation, and all nations will be blessed through you. Right? And so it seems to me that the error that was made in this process of doing some really good things, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall, reinstituting the law, right? Putting things back on track was hurt by the fact that they wanted to keep everybody out who wasn't right just like them, all right? Now, next slide, please. This was a worship ceremony that they were going through with some antiphonal action. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So the priests say, the Lord is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And the people give a great shout in response. Right, next slide, please. But notice this. There's this mix of emotions. Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who'd seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. Why did they weep? Well, it doesn't tell us, but we can guess that perhaps it was pretty clear this temple was in no way going to be like Solomon's temple, right? It could be that they remembered all these amazing things that took place at that old temple, and they realized that it had been destroyed, which means that something went horribly wrong, and they had all those connections with that past and remembered all that was broken and they felt that pain. So even as they celebrated and gave thanks, there's some amazing things going on. They also experienced, yeah, but that reminds me of a whole bunch of things that didn't go quite the way they should have. And my assumption is that that reality happens for us too. Next slide, please. That as we come here on Thanksgiving, we can say it's the day to be thankful, and I'm sure everybody can think of something to be thankful for. But I want to encourage a little more um, vulnerability and honesty in our giving of thanks. That we recognize that even as we give thanks for some things, there, there's, there's a bit of a mix to that, right? That giving thanks for one thing makes us grieve another thing. So I've written a bunch of these, and this is my version. And consider it priming the pump for whenever it is that you get a chance to share your thanksgiving, if you want to do it this way, to also think of, I give thanks for this, but boy, even as I say that, it makes me feel the other. Here's a few that I came up with. That, for instance, we are really thankful for a supportive community, but we might be grieving how much support we are needing personally. Those of us who have lost a spouse, we're thankful for, for the great gift that they were, even as we grieve how painful it is to live without them. When a prodigal child comes home, when someone comes home who's been away, when there's been a separation, now there's a restoration, we greet them with tears of joy at their return, and also with tears of sadness at the same time for all the mess that took place along the way. When we go on serve or dig or a retreat, we give thanks for the great experience even as we feel grief that we don't live at that spiritual level all the time. We rejoice at all the people who are participating here at Mountain View. At the same time, we notice that there are some people who aren't participating with us anymore. We're thankful for diversity, even as we grieve the fact that we don't all think the same and aren't all on the same page. We give thanks for our children even as we feel the challenge of responsibility and recognize the required energy it takes to raise them. 
Then in the next stage of life, we give thanks that our children have launched, but we grieve that they're not around all the time. And in the next stage of life, we give thanks that our children or others are able to care for us, but we grieve the fact that they're doing that for us now and that we need them to. We're thankful for every opportunity we have to help people who are in need, but we grieve that there are so many people in need. We're thankful for any and all growth and maturity that happens in our lives, but we grieve that we're still working on some of those things now. And then the big one, we're thankful that Jesus got it right and that he got it right for me and for you and for everyone, and that's final, even as I grieve what's not yet right for me. Final slide, please. Cacophony, which means a whole bunch of different sounds happening at the same time really loud. Or, no one could distinguish the sound of the souch of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Whenever we gather, there is some sense of cacophony. There's mixed emotions, there's mixed expressions. For some of us, as we're singing a song, it's just drawing our hearts into the presence of God. For others of us, that same song is just bringing out a point of grief and pain, right? When we gather, we recognize that we come into the presence of a God who meets us in our heartfelt, easy to express thanksgiving. And a God who also meets us when we're doing it because, well, the calendar says it's Thanksgiving and I'm gonna focus on that, I'm gonna work on that and I'm gonna pay attention to that. But be deeply clear about this. God meets each of us exactly where we are. And it is my sense that what's best for us in our spiritual journey of thanksgiving is that we are simply honest. This is how this feels right now. This is what's real for me right now. This is what's going on for me right now. And we allow God to pick us up in that point. In fact, the best way to the deepest kind of understanding of what it means to be thankful is the one that goes through saying, this is what I'm not thankful for. This is what's hard for me. And allowing God to meet us there and bring us to a place where we go, but yeah, even as I say that, even as I'm honest, I grow in my ability to recognize he met me right there in that spot. The ultimate thanksgiving we have in this world with all the challenges and joys that are mixed in to this reality is the fact that God is with us. Jesus came down to be with us and he left his spirit with us. God with us is our ultimate opportunity for thanks. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you meet us here. Thank you that you know all the different things in our hearts. Thank you for the amazing things that we can celebrate, the goodness that we see all around us in people and things and experiences. And we also thank you that you meet us and are very real to us when we're in the more challenging times. So we thank you that your love overshadows even the greatest challenges that we experience and that you give us hope and you give us a promise and you give us yourself. May we be attentive and may we experience that thanksgiving in you each step of the way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.